Well, yeah, Children's Church. Michael, keep your seat. All right, let's pause and pray. Sweet, sweet spirit this morning that uh, we have here in time of worship and just thanking him for being such a gracious and wonderful God. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, once again, we pause before you. And we would ask this morning as we come to a time of studying your word together, Father, I pray that you would strengthen me for this time. God, that I would speak the words that you uh, have given me with an authority and yet with a humbleness. We pray, God, that uh, in likewise manner, that those who would hear your words today would be strengthened to understand them and to um, humbly accept them. We are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your spirit. We are grateful that we've just heard in song that uh, we're just passing through. Our home is not here. Help us to recognize that, to live joyfully while we are here, but to live even more joyfully with the expectation of what is to come. We thank you again for this day. We pray, God, that you would work in the lives of all of us. God, that each of us would be moved by your spirit this morning to a place of understanding and a place of obedience, not only for the things that we will hear today, but for the things that we have learned and for the things that we will learn. To you be the glory, because you and you alone deserve it. And we all said, Amen. Amen. All right. Saudi, Kunsabadiwukab. Sabahakir. Salam alaikum. Strasvicha. Katipujuesh. Do you all not know what I'm saying? Well, there's a point to that. You see, my point this morning in speaking various languages, and by the way, they are all known languages. The point is to affirm to you that the truth is, if you can't understand what someone is saying, it's of no value to you. Right? I was talking with Ann about that very fact this morning, and she said that when she was in Honduras, and she would be trying to talk to them, and they were trying to talk to her, and nobody understood anything. Well, that is exactly what chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is dealing with. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the title of the message this morning is Understanding is Essential. Understanding is Essential. Chapter 14 is dedicated to correcting a false activity that had no value in the edification of the church body. None. The chapter teaches that the gift of prophecy is superior to speaking in tongues, both legitimate tongues as well as illegitimate tongues. And we'll discuss both of those as we go through the message today. But our points this morning is, are these. Paul exhorts the church, number one, to pursue understanding. Number two, to avoid the unprofitable, and number three, 
is to worship with understanding. Pursue understanding, avoid the unprofitable, and worship with understanding. Those three things. Now, let me also reiterate that as we study the scriptures this morning, that the number one rule to studying scripture is always this, context, right? And as Jeff Adams would say, the second rule is very much like the first rule, and that second rule is context. And the third rule is also very much like the first and second rule, just as important as rule number one and rule number two. Rule number three is also, you guessed it, context. So we need to study the Bible in light of context, in the context in particular that Paul was writing to a church that was a prideful church. It was an arrogant church. It was a selfish church. So we have to take what he is saying in light of the context of the day and the people that he was writing to. And we need to do that in order to understand them to understand the circumstances before we immediately try to bridge what was going on there and make application to us today. Does that make sense? Yes? All right, just making sure y'all were with me, making sure everybody's awake. All right, so number one, let's just jump into it this morning. He says, pursue understanding. Let's look at verses one through five of chapter 14. Now, remember again, chapters 12, 13, and 14 cannot be separated from one another. They're talking about spiritual gifts, laying out what spiritual gifts are. You remember that spiritual gifts are uh, in 13 are to be pursued in love. That's what we'll talk about in a moment. And then there's a correction of one of the main problems that was going on inside of the church, and that was wanting the showy, flashy gifts. And 14 deals with one of those gifts that was a problem that the people were misusing. So verses 1 through 5, he says this, Pursue love. King James says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you would prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit, in the spirit... He speaks mysteries, but he that prophesies speaks to men to, listen, edification, exhortation, and comfort. And he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edification. So when we look at these verses, let's just kind of break it down. Now again, this, not necessarily in a Baptist church, is an issue. But through the overall church, it is an issue, and it is a question, and a legitimate question that we need to be able to answer and give a biblical explanation for what Paul is talking about. So, as we look at this, first of all, just look in verse 1 again. He says, Paul really continues them to and exhort them to pursue love. And you remember in chapter 12, he, he ended it out, he, and he lists out all the gifts. As a matter of fact, he, he listed the main ones in, in hierarchy. And he says, you know, here's uh, number one, apostles, and then prophets, and then thirdly, teachers. And that was a hierarchy of, of arrangement in that. 
And then he goes on to list all the others. And as a matter of fact, the very last one that he lists, I think, is tongues. And he says, but, he said, I want to show you a more excellent way. Which then he launches into chapter 13. And he says, pursue love. And we spent weeks on just talking about love in the fact that it is so important that we love and we are a loving people because if we're not a loving people, that is to love God and to love our neighbors, right? And, and it's a agape love. It's not just a, a superficial love, but a, a God-type love that only God can give us, by the way. If we don't do that, he says, then we've accomplished nothing at all. And so he continues now in 14 after reaffirming, he says, listen, I want you guys to pursue love. But then he also says in verse 1, he says, and to desire spiritual gifts. So the, really, love and spiritual gifts go hand in glove. There, there is a necessity within the body of Christ that each of us would use uh, our spiritual gifts. And we, as we've learned and will continue to learn through the next several weeks, that our spiritual gifts are to be used to edify, to exhort, and to comfort uh, the rest of the body of Christ. And I would say this morning, dear sister, singing this morning, that really we don't find that the gift of singing is in the Bible, but what we do find is that the gift of exhortation is in the Bible and that that song is exhorting us to hang on because there is a heaven and there is a loving God waiting to welcome us home. Great, great example of exhortation. But Paul says, I want you to desire spiritual gifts. Not only do I want you to be a loving people who perceive, uh, pursue love, but I also want you to be a people that will go after spiritual gifts. Now, I can say this, and, and I'll say this in love, right? And I want you to receive it in love. Listen, if you are a part of the body of Westside Baptist Church, you need to be using your spiritual gifts for the edification of the rest of the members here. Amen. That, that, that is a given. And failure to do that is rebellion. Amen. And you may, you may say, well, I, Jim, I don't know where to start. Just start somewhere. That's right. Just start somewhere. Whatever's in your hand, pick it up and run with it. You know? And, and by and by, as you're obedient, God will make sure that he shows you where your gift is at. And I, and I will tell you this, the gifts are like snowflakes. Each and every one of them are individual. And they're, they're displayed in different ways. Thank you. Right? So, so, but he says... That we're to pursue prophecy. Spiritual gifts executed in love are essential for the health, the spiritual growth of any church. I will say this, as we grow in the use of spiritual gifts at Westside Baptist Church, I guarantee you will see spiritual growth within the body of Christ. And through spiritual growth, you will also see numerical growth. But spiritual growth is what we're after primarily. Did you know as a pastor, that's what I'm called to do, is I'm not called to get all sorts of people to church. I'm, I'm called to present you as mature. That's my job. But it, I'm also to do the work of an evangelist, to go out and tell people about Jesus. Amen. And by the way, so is yours. That's right. Amen. right? So he says, but we should especially desire Prophecy. Now let me go back over and explain again what prophecy is. Prophecy, in the strictest sense of the word, is a spirit-given ability to effectively explain or proclaim and explain the word of God. Amen. That's what prophecy is, in, in the strictest sense of the word. It, it is, that, again, I was telling you about context. So at the time that this, this letter was written, 
there was new revelation being given. So a prophet in that day or somebody with a gift of prophecy during that day may actually be giving new revelation. By the way, that's exactly what Paul was doing when he spoke and wrote to the church at Corinth. He was giving revelation that they did not have up until this point, and now the gift of prophecy, if we're going to say that that gift is still being exercised today, we would say that it is simply this. It is proclaiming the word of God without any new revelation, just simply explaining what God says. You guys track it over here? All right, just making sure. Well, I'm getting plenty of north-souths. We see this side over here is feeling a little more Baptistic today. This side over here is feeling a little more Presbyterian. <laughs> so, but we are, we're all in agreement that that's, that's what the case is. Listen, what prophecy, let me say what prophecy is not. You can throw this out today because there's a lot of misconcepts over prophecy. Prophecy is not at this time looking at somebody, and I, I would, I, I, it would be terrible if somebody were to come up to me and say, hey, this time next year, uh, you're going to be in the pulpit and you're going to die. Well, I would look at him and say, okay. Maybe so, maybe no. But what happens when it doesn't happen? Or what happens when somebody says, you know, the Lord told me that this time next year you will have a baby. Well, how do you know? Well, God told me. Well, really? I don't think so. Because then what happens when you don't have a baby? Calls in question what's really going on there. So understand the difference between what biblical prophecy is and counterfeit prophecy is. So again, the strictest sense of the word prophecy is this, proclaiming what the word of God already says. Now, there may be a day, according to Joel, that it says in the tribulation period time frame that there are going to be your sons and daughters will prophesy. I don't know how they'll be doing that because we're not there yet. But it may just simply be proclaiming the word of God because that's a whole different age because the church is gone. The church age is over. Whole different age. I don't want to go down that road. We'll, we'll be here for a while. But just understand... If we believe it's still an active gift, it must be seen with the ability to effectively proclaim and explain the Word of God. So, when Paul says this, he says, he says that's the thing you ought to be going after. Why is, is the next uh, issue that we come to? Why was prophecy to be pursued? And by the way, prophecy there, need to understand this when he is using that, and I won't go into the, the grammar and the way everything is broken down because that would just bore you, but I will tell you this, that it is not saying that an individual is to seek prophecy. He says the church should desire the gift of prophecy. So collectively, what they want is to be able to see the Word of God being effectively proclaimed and explained to the congregation as a whole body. They're not an individual uh, just, just saying, hey, that, that, that's the gift that, that I want because we've already discussed that God gives us the gifts as He desires, not as we desire. Amen. Right? So, why? Well, prophecy can be understood by those who hear it. That's the first reason. Look at verse 2. It says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks not to un unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in, it in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, 
You will note as we go through this, we need to contrast something that the King James does. You'll note in this verse, it says that he that speaks in an unknown tongue, and it's italicized. They had put that in there for a specific reason, and I'll get to it. Some of the other Bibles, like a Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible says, one says other tongues, and there's a slight difference, in, he says a little bit later, another tongue. So why, why, you remember this, we, we said this, God does not waste words, amen? So if he changes a word in there, there is a reason that there's a change in the word. And the King James properly said an unknown tongue. And this unknown tongue is different from a known tongue. When I talked to you, that last thing that I said earlier was Anybody want to take a guess what that is? Russian, just a greeting. Hey, how you doing? And we could, somebody may reply and say, Sivonia Sharka. Today's hot, right? Today's hot. So, but that's a known language. Now, if there were a Russian here, or a Russian student who understood that language, they would be able to tell me that. They would be able to interpret that because it's a known language. However, what Paul is addressing here initially, and the reason we're saying pursue what can be understood because he makes it very clear in verse two that these unknown tongues, and you could just substitute this word in there as well, an illegitimate tongue or an unknown tongue was gibberish that was pagan in nature. And it had no meaning whatsoever. It was just jabbering. Now, that was not uncommon for the Corinthian church because they came out of a pagan society who used to do that very thing. They would get caught up in these pagan rituals. And one of the things that they would do is they would build themselves into an almost trance-like state. And they believed that once you finally just you got to that perfect point, you began to speak these utterances of ecstasies and that there was no meaning to it and they said listen what we're doing is we're speaking in some translations would say not to God but to a God and it says that they are speaking mysteries in other words it's absolutely unknown to anyone not like the mysteries that Paul says that once it was a mystery about the Gentiles but now that mystery is revealed that the Gentiles were born into the church as well through Jesus Christ but the mysteries he's speaking of here are unknown they're, they're unknown to anybody. But I, what I want you to get across, because it's essential to understand the rest of the message, is that Paul, when he speaks of tongues, we need to understand that he's talking sometimes that there are unknown tongues that make no sense, that they're, they're not a language, they are not a legitimate language, and he says, and sometimes there are tongues that are a legitimate language. And, and we'll discuss over the next couple of weeks how that was to be employed within the body of Christ. Now, you will remember last week we talked and says that tongues, when it says that when the perfect has come, right, that prophecy and knowledge would be done away with, that perfect being the eternal kingdom. He says, but he says tongues, he said, would cease. And we learned that that meant that they would just stop in and of themselves. There wasn't an event that was going to transpire that they would quit. They would just stop. They just come to an end. So, at the time, though, there were legitimate tongues being spoken, but in the church of Corinth, there was a low, whole lot of illegitimate tongues being spoken. In other words, just 
pagan, just like what they had been doing in their former life before coming to Christ. So, it's important. And it says, what about God? Again, I kind of alluded to it. What about God? When they speak into God, listen. When you pray, it's more beneficial to know what you're praying than it is to not know what you're praying. Now, we'll prove that through this message this morning. Paul makes it very clear. He says, you ought to understand what you're saying. We'll, we'll close it out this morning with that. You ought to understand what you're praying. You ought to understand what you're singing. You ought to understand what you're doing. God is not a mindless God, and he did not make us mindless as well. Right? Okay, now, um, so as he says this, he's reminding them, and I'll remind us this morning that this elaborate, or, you know, elaborate form of, of speaking, working themselves into a frenzy to where they were just speaking in tongues and sometimes passing out. and They, they believed that that was the highest form of communion with God. Now you remember early as we studied that Paul says, you were led away by dumb idols. And those dumb idols were demons. And he's saying you were really led away by demonic activity into this stuff. Listen, there are a lot of churches even today that I don't even think realize they are being led, not by the Holy Spirit, but by demonic spirits. It, it, yeah, it happens. I mean, when you see people fall out on the ground and bark like dogs, I'm going to tell you what, I find nothing in the Bible that says that as being led by the Spirit. Hello? Can I tell you something, too, that as a pastor, it would be so much easier to ignore some of these things. Keep the peace. Don't fight with some brothers and sisters over things like this, but the Word of God is there. The Bible says we must preach the whole counsel of God. Amen. And I love being able to preach through a book because it makes us deal with what is before us. And by the way, did you know there's nothing new under the sun? That what has been said will be said again. The same old things that Satan's done before will be done again. Why? Because they work. Prophecy, another reason that prophecy is to be pursued is it is pursued for edification, exhortation, and the comfort of those here that hear it. Look at verse 3. He says, but he that prophesies speaks unto men to the edification and exhortation and comfort. So when we look at that, just saying, why are we to pursue prophecy? Why are we to look at saying, listen, proclaim and explain the word of God? Because here's what it does. It edifies. It builds up. It, it exhorts us. And folks, it comforts us. Man, I would much rather have somebody come to me with the Word of God and that they would sit down with the Word of God and explain the Word of God to me on why there is sickness in the world. I would rather have somebody come to me with the Word of God and explain to me why there is bitterness in the world. I would much rather somebody come to me and explain to me why Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven through the Word of God than to hear somebody gibber on. You see, the Word of God edifies, the Word of God exhorts, and the Word of God comforts. Amen. And that's what someone who prophesies is simply proclaiming God's Word. Make sense? 
So that's another reason that he says, this is what I want you to do. Now, keep in mind, at that time, they're, they're, the, the sign gift of, of tongues was still operational, but he's not addressing the legitimate tongues. He's addressing illegitimate tongues. Prophecy builds up while speaking in tongues builds up the one speaking. Look at verse 4. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesieth edifies the church. You see, that is another reason. He says, pursue that. What? Because, listen, spiritual gifts are to be given for this, this reason and this reason alone. They are not for self-edification. They are for the edification of the entire body of Christ. And he makes it very clear here. The one who is speaking in an unknown tongue is not building up the body of Christ. What he is doing, he is building himself up. In other words, he's saying, hey, look how spiritual I am. Look at how God is moving in me. Because he's giving no value to the church because he's not telling the church anything. They can't understand what he is saying. Does that make sense? Then he goes on to say, avoid the unprofitable. To avoid the unprofitable. Let me get a drink here, if you don't mind. Thank you, Brother Steve. Verses 6 through 14, let's read those together. It says, now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, note there's a difference. It's not unknown. It says, if I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you, except I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Asking a question. And even things without life given a sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise, you, except you utter by tongue, by the tongue, words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them are without signification. In other words, none of them were without meaning. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh unto me a barbarian to me. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel in the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is fruitful. Now I'll get to that. Paul in these last couple of verses is just being very sarcastic which he was known to do. Now, so let's kind of break this apart. Verse 6. Speaking in tongues without interpretation does not profit you because there is no revelation. There is no edification. Uh, as he goes on to say, there is no knowledge. There is no doctrine made known. Now, here he was talking about a known language. But he says, even if you come in with a known language and you're speaking to a group of people who don't know what you're saying, how, and what he's saying here, how in the world are you going to be edified? 
How are you going to receive any revelation? How are you going to understand doctrine if I'm speaking to you in a language that you don't understand? Now, again, go back to what he's trying to get across. That the superiority of speaking and prophesying in the language that they understand, people then are built up. We understand. If I came in here this morning and I couldn't do it, and, and, and I were to speak to you in Spanish all morning long, there might be a couple of you who would understand what I'm saying. But only a couple. And so you would need to interpret. So what Paul is saying is, if I come to speak to you in Spanish, there needs to be somebody there to interpret it, because if there isn't, there is no revelation, there is no doctrine that is being made known. Does that make sense? So that's all, that's all he's saying in verse 6. So he says, avoid the unprofitable. Verses 7 and 8 tells us this, that unknown tongues are like someone. Now, we switch back, right? Now we've gone to unknown tongues. Before, just while ago in verse 6, we were tongues. Now we've gone back to own, own, unknown tongues. I'm getting tongue-tied. Unknown tongues. And he says that if that's the case, he says an unknown tongue is like someone playing an instrument without Musical notes. That, that would have been like this morning if Wendy had got up and got ready to a, 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 a accompany a while ago Barbara in that song, and, and she just started picking out whatever she wanted. I mean, she just started strumming and banging, right? I, I'll put it like this. It, 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 I, I have given her harmonica to some of my grandkids sometimes. What does a kid do with a harmonica? They just blow in and out, blow in and out, and there is no music to it whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it's very annoying. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to get across. He, he says that speaking in an unknown language is of no value because it is not real music. It's like having a flute or a harp or a guitar or whatever you want, and you're just banging away without any rhythm, without any notes. It's not music. And therefore, it's worthless. Or he says, further illustration, he says, or it's like the man who would blow the bugle in battle. And he says, if he doesn't give distinct sounds, if he doesn't play distinct notes, he says, the one that hears it doesn't know what to do. Amen. Now, I grew up in the era of Westerns, right? I mean... John Wayne, the Duke. You ever notice those, those old movies, the westerns? I mean, right when it's the worst moment, they would hear off in the distance. When they'd given up all hope, they would hear the bugler sounding the charge. And what's amazing to me is the Indians always knew it too. <laughs> because they would ride away. But the point is that Paul is making he says that somebody who speaks in an unknown tongue, is, it's just like the bugler in battle. If he doesn't play a distinct note, the soldier who hears it doesn't know whether he needs to charge or he doesn't know whether he needs to retreat. He's left in a state of confusion. And he says that is what was going on in the church, that people were just up babbling, gibberish, pagan ecstasy. And he says that it's of no value because nobody knows what you're saying or what you're doing. He further goes on to say in verses 9, look at that. It says, so likewise you, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how is it 
Or how shall it be known for what is spoken? Reaffirming again, unless, unless you're speaking in some type of intelligible language, how can you know what's being spoken? He says, for you speak into the air. You, you know what that verse is saying? He says, if you're speaking in an unknown language, you're simply wasting your breath. You're just speaking into the air. So no benefit to you. It's no benefit to anybody else. You're just wasting your breath. Verse 10 and 11 says, unless someone knows what you are saying, it is useless. There must be someone to interpret the message. All known languages have significance. All of them can be understood. Now, there are a lot of languages in this world, but every single one of them, somebody understands that language and can interpret that language, or you can be taught that language. Verses 12 and 13 tell us this. Paul emphasizes the truth with sarcasm. Now, look, let me back up into verse 10 and 11 again and get a running start at, at 12 and 13. He says, there are many kinds of voices in the world and none of them without any, without signification. Therefore, I know not the meaning of the voice. I shall be unto him that speaketh as a barbarian and, and to him that speaketh to me a, a barbarian. Now, the barbarian there, if you... Uh, were a Greek. That was the language of the day. And unless you spoke Greek and they had, uh, they, they would call them barbarians because their language literally to them sounded like gibberish. In other words, what Paul is saying here, he says, listen, if, if you're just saying those things and, and there's, there's no uh, meaning to them, it, it just sounds like you're speaking gibberish to me. You know, somebody may say, well, it sounds like Greek to me. I mean, I don't know. What is it? Don't know. I can't understand him. And so that's what he's trying to get across there. Now he kind of swaps over, and you'll note in verse 12, he says, even so you for as much as you are zealous for spiritual gifts, right? He's throwing a little sarcasm in there, and now he says, oh, you Corinthians, you, are, you really want the spiritual gifts. I can see that in you, man. You want the spiritual gifts. Now, remember, he's chastising them because they're trying to go for the showy gifts. Everybody look at me, uh, and they've lost the purpose. So he says, since you're so zealous for spiritual gifts, seek those that edify the church. In other words, it's a slap and saying, stop seeking those things that are for you and start seeking the things that are good for the body of Christ. And he goes on to say that they needed to pray. Look at verse uh, uh, 13. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue, note an unknown tongue. Now, now here's where the sarcasm is dripping. He says, if you're so spiritual, why don't you pray that you can interpret which is only gibberish? Let's see what you come out with. Let's see what comes out then. Because they, they understood the difference of what he was saying in the wording, right? We, we got to do a little explaining here, but they understood. He says, why don't you pray? Now listen, I was watching a video on YouTube Something caught my eye. School of the Prophets, right? Some of you may have heard of them. I don't know. I'd never heard of them, but I wanted to check it out because it says learn how to be a prophet. I said, well, how do you learn how to be a prophet? I'm interested, you know? 
Might want a CD. I don't know. Joking. <laughs> Joking. But I tune into this thing. And on stage are a whole bunch of kids. I mean, there are thousands of people in the audience. Probably 50 kids up on. I've got one little girl about 12 years old. And she's up there and she's going on about being a funnel. Letting the Holy Spirit fill you. And about speaking in tongues. And, and I mean, she's doing things like she's talking. And I'm, I'm talking to a little, young little girl. And she's talking and she starts, oh, I'm drunk. I'm drunk. Let me tell you something. The Bible never tells you to be drunk. The Bible tells you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when you hear people saying, hey, I'm drunk in the Spirit, you better go back and read your Bible and quit listening to what everybody else is saying. And then she begins to speak in tongues. Let me just tell you what she said. I wrote it down. Bara shak haba baba. Barashak Haba Baba. Can somebody interpret to me what Barashak Baba Baba means? And everybody is just like, oh, oh. And then she does a few more things and she's about ready to quit, you know. And the pastor who needed a thump on the back of the head, looks at her and says, because she's praying that everybody just open their funnels up and be filled with the Spirit so they can all speak in tongues, which is unbiblical, because Paul has already made it clear, do all speak in tongues? No. Because it's a gift that God gives, a legitimate gift, but not all speak in tongues. And the pastor says this to her. I'm trying to drive home a point. Hang on with me. And she's, she's ready to move on. Now, that's all she spoke in tongues. Barak. Is that what I said? No, Barashak. I was fixing to say something else. That was a Freudian slip, they would say. <laughs> Some of you got that. Barashak Haba Baba. I'll probably get a letter on that. <laughs> then the pastor tells her to speak in tongues more. And she, listen, the look that little girl had on her face was like, What? And then she turned around and she said this, Bariki Shababa. Bariki Shababa. Now let me tell you something. You don't speak in tongues on demand. Amen. Not if I understand what the Bible says. You see, it was a gift. And that God would move on somebody at the time when, when tongues were still in operation and they would speak in tongues. And then God would give an interpretation of tongues to somebody who had the gift of interpretation. Because if there were no interpretation, then it did the church no good because there was no edification, exhortation, or comfort. Languages are given as a form of communication. Even in the early church with the first recorded tongues, they were known languages. Would you turn with me very quickly to Acts chapter 2? And verses 4 through 11, just, just to make a point. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. No, not an unknown tongue. They all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in at Jerusalem, Jews. De, note, that is important as well. We'll talk about that next week. Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that they heard every man, listen, speaking in a language they didn't understand. Is that what the scripture says? No, it says that they understood them speaking in their native languages. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these Galileans, which are, are, are not these all which speak Galileans? And how are we, every man in our own language wherein we were born, a Parthians and Medes and Elamites and, and dwellers of Mesopotamia, and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. But the fact is what I want to get across is every single one of them heard what was being spoken in their own language. And God was getting glory. You see, it was a legitimate form of communication. Early attempts in the 1900s of missionaries when the start of, much of the start of the modern tongues movement came out, and I won't go into it in detail today, I'll cover it later, but early 1900s, the use of tongues came back which had been absent from the church, except for periodic little bursts that were usually heretic. So much so that the church at that time said, hey, these are legitimate tongues, and people were speaking in allegedly Chinese and, you know, Spanish and whatnot. And it was so prevalent at that time that those schools quit teaching languages. Now, this is documented. You can, you can go read this in history. You can read it in newspapers, old newspaper articles. They quit, they quit teaching their students foreign languages because they were speaking in tongues. And they went on the mission field. And they began to speak in those tongues. And the people they went to looked at them as they were a barbarian. Because even though it had the sound of that language, it was not really their language. Even some who supposedly wrote in Chinese, they gave their writings to people who were linguists. And they said, it looks like Chinese script, but it says nothing. Now, I say that because even now in the church, the charismatic Pentecostal church at the time, abandoned the idea that tongues were legitimate to send missionaries on the field just because they were speaking in tongues. And the whole idea of the tongues movement that we see today began to change with that thought. Everybody still love me? Let me reemphasize again, I came from a Pentecostal background. I got the t-shirt, got the hat, and I even got the pen. You can read into that for what it means. Yeah, I did a little bit of 
rikisha ba 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 myself. It's not hard to do if you got somebody coaching you. But again, my understanding is if it's legit, you don't need somebody coaching you. Amen? All right. Let me um, close with this, and I, and I, do, I must, must rush along. Prayers, verses 14 through 16, don't have time to read the entire scripture, but let me just go through and tell you these things. Prayers should be understood by all those who hear. Again, if you're praying in a tongue and nobody knows what you're saying, including you, there's no value to that. Because you don't even know what you're saying, if you're saying anything at all. And, and again, listen, this is not me saying that. This is what Paul says. We, we have to cover this. Let me, let me just say it. Uh, go back and look at that. In, in verses 14, he says, For he that prays in an unknown tongue, uh, my spirit, he says, prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Some guys will say even that, that word spirit is pneuma air. He says, in other words, you're, you're just praying with air. You're just praying with air. But you don't have any understanding of what you're saying. And he further goes on to say this, that songs of worship, he says, if you're going to sing with the Spirit, sing with understanding as well. Let me just give you a verse for you to dwell on and think about this. The Bible says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our what? Heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. So that, that now we can say, what is love? Love is worshiping God. So if we're going to worship God, we need to do it with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. In other words, you can't separate something out and say, well, I'm just worshiping with my spirit. It's impossible to simply worship by your spirit. Now, you can. You can falsely worship with your mouth. Somebody can say a prayer that doesn't even know what they're saying and mean. I mean, I, I could get up here and there are people who do that all the time. You know, we'll have some pagan guy get up and read a prayer. Well, he's not praying with the Spirit because he's not born again. But I will tell you this, Paul's point is, is if you're going to pray in the Spirit, you better understand what you're saying. If you're going to sing in the Spirit, you better understand what you're singing. Otherwise, what are you doing? You don't even know what you're doing. The whole idea, too, and, and I don't have time this morning to break it out. We'll try and do this over the next couple of weeks. But the whole idea of saying, well, it's, it's my prayer language. Listen, there's nothing in the Bible that teaches about a prayer language other than your own language or a known language language and again I say this humbly because we can be led astray if we're not careful let me close with this here's the conclusion of the matter Paul as we look in the very end of that Paul was a man who had the gift of legitimate tongues he come to him and he says listen I speak in tongues more than any of you. That's what he tells them. Doesn't tell them when he did it. He just let them know, I've got the gift legitimately. I've done it more than any of you. But note what he says in that. I think verse 16. No, nah, not there. But anyway, his, his point is, he says, getting down to it, he says, listen, I would rather speak five intelligible words than to speak millions of unintelligible words. Amen. Why? Because it's about the building of the body of Christ. Amen. 
we must, like the church of Corinth, seek to proclaim God's word in a way that all understand and are edified. We must avoid those things that are unprofitable. We should seek the things that are understandable. And we should be a people that should understand and worship with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Emotionalism is no substitute for the true gift of worship that edifies the body of Christ. Amen. And again, we live in a day in society we've, we've kind of bled across in denominations. And Well, let's look at what the Bible says, right? That's what I had to do. I had to look at what the Bible says, not Amen. what somebody told me. What does the Bible say? And if there's any change that's going to happen, let's don't make the Bible change. Let's make us change. Amen. Right? Okay. Let's pray. Brad, come on up, brother. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And God, I pray that you would do the things that you need to do in each and every one of our hearts. We want you to be supreme in our lives. We want Jesus Christ to be exalted and lifted up. And Lord, we want to do that in a very clear manner. We love you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me, let me just say this, folks. My prayer is, is that God is working in each of our lives. Some of you this morning may be challenged in different areas of your life that God has been speaking to you. Some of you, you may be here this morning and you know you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He's dealing with you on it. Some here may need to be baptized. You've never followed the Lord in biblical baptism. And you need to be baptized. Some of you may be on the fringes and thought about church membership and you've never joined the church. It's kind of like being married. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to showing everybody else. It's one thing to shack up. It's another thing to be married. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. I pray, God, as you move in the hearts of your people, you accomplish what you desire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd like to pray with somebody, there will be somebody here at the uh, up front that would love to pray with you. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?